podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Thursday, the 15th of July. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, Now TV, if you're outside the UK, HBO Go, Peacock, whatever you want to do. Also keeps your data safe. LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. If you're an expat, either Irish or British, and you're wanting to watch, say you want to watch the GAA, the All-Ireland Championships underway, you can just change your geolocation and use the RTE player. If you want to watch the Olympics and support Team Britain, Team Great Britain as it is, very simple. Change your geolocation to the UK. Access the BBC iPlayer. 350 hours of coverage for free. In English, it's ideal. LibertyShield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. The shop itself, the physical shop, now open seven days a week. Right, folks. Um couple of quick things to cover. We've got a bunch of questions that I want to get to, but very quickly, just wanted to mention, we had Ryan on yesterday, obviously, and the day before, Tuesday, I said I wouldn't be talking anymore about the Euros. But in talking to Ryan yesterday, I, or like, actually, that was pre-recorded, as you might have guessed, I did mention that, despite the English fans' actions, nobody got hurt. It turns out it was wrong. There were a couple of people hospitalised. The more I've seen... I wasn't aware of the extent of the trouble that was caused. I wasn't aware of the extent of the damage that was done, of the abuse that was hurled. But over the last sort of 48 hours, I have seen more and more footage come out of the behavior of England fans. And frankly, it is an absolute disgrace. Um, Obviously, everybody's aware of the horrendous racial abuse that's been targeted towards Bakayo Saka, Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford. There's no place in the world for that at all. And it looks like that type of behavior, that type of attitude, that type of treatment of young players is going to cost England because it looks like Callum Hudson-Odoi is set to declare to play for Ghana. Now, that is a massive loss for England long term. If you go back, say, two, three years Hudson-Odoi was as highly rated as Sancho, and people who watched both as youth players will tell you Hudson-Odoi was the more talented, the more likely to make it to the very, very pinnacle of the game. We've seen what Sancho's been able to do. Hudson-Odoi hasn't had the opportunities at Chelsea. We also know he had that horrible Achilles tendon tear. But that kid is incredibly gifted, and to lose him is a massive blow. They also lost Jamal Musiala. Now, that was more to do with his allegiance to Germany, where he'd been born. But 
I don't think this will be the end of it. There's a lot of talk that Tariq Lamptey is going to declare to play for Ghana as well. That Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I think it's Democratic Republic of Congo, maybe with Wan-Bissaka, is where he's uh, considering playing his international football. Now, with Wan-Bissaka, I think it's more to do with the fact that he doesn't really have, yeah, Democratic Republic of Congo. He played for the under-20s before switching to England. Um, He's well down the pecking order at right back for England, obviously. You've got the two that were at the Euros in Walker and Trippier. Obviously, Trent, Rhys James, and I would imagine Max Ahrens probably is ahead of him. And all of them would also be ahead of Tariq Lamptey as well. So while they may not be massive blows, it is still taking away from the potential pool. You look at England playing a back three, you look at Walker in that right-sided role, well, if England were to stick with that, Wan-Bissaka would be the natural successor in that specific role. He's the best option England would have to come in to play that role where he can be a right-side centre-back slash right-back hybrid. England do have other centre-back options long-term, the likes of Konza, Tamori, Godfrey, Gwehi. These are all very good options, but none of them are comfortable playing right-back, so England don't have that flexibility in-game as they did with Walker, as they would with Wan-Bissaka. So it does all accumulate, it adds up. Treating black players the way people are is not going to help. So if you see it, if you hear it, put a stop to it. Report the tweets, report the posts, whatever it is you see, report it. Report it to Twitter, report it to Facebook, report it to Instagram, whoever. If you hear someone say it, just tell them to stop. There's no reason for it. There's no need for it. We all need to move past that type of mentality, that type of behavior. The future of England is black. I'm sorry to say, for those that don't want to hear it, the future of the England national team is very much going to be a lot of incredibly gifted black players. The likes of Trent, the likes of Konza, the likes of Tamori, the likes of Jude Bellingham, Sancho, Saka, Rashford, Greenwood. If if you've got a problem with it now, you're probably going to have a bigger problem with it down the road. And you're just going to have to get used to it because these kids aren't going away. They're incredibly talented footballers. Most of them are remarkable young men. Rash, Rashford is an incredible human being. Uh, Rashford, for the record, has just gone and had surgery on a shoulder injury that he suffered eight months ago that he played with, suffered through. It clearly affected his season and his form, both at club level and international level, but he was willing to sacrifice for the good of his club and his country. He was willing to step up and take a penalty when others hid, when others had no interest in taking penalties. So I don't want to see any criticism of him. I certainly don't want to see any racial abuse. I don't want to see any criticism of Sancho or Saka. Anybody can miss a penalty. Not everybody will take a penalty. Criticise those who didn't take one, not those who stood up and took it. Uh, Sancho barely played in the tournament Rashford barely played in the tournament they came on with a minute to go in extra time I think they had two touches between them and Rashford's was a defensive clearance so how are you going to blame them for that right enough of that Uh, just behave yourselves tell people to behave themselves and yeah England fans have probably done damage 
to any possible bid for the 2030 World Cup with that type of behaviour. With that said, there does need to be more money invested in policing at football matches. There needs to be a lot more money invested in the training and volume of stewards that we have at games. Uh, clearly under-trained, understaffed in both regards. That needs to be addressed. It's something that the FA need to look at in the Premier League. And all the way down. I mean, look, we've seen that it can be done. We've seen when like, when a team like Millwall play, if they play West Ham, for example, the police presence is enormous. So it can be done. Make sure it's done all the time. Some games you may not need as big a presence, but you will in a lot of cases, especially at international level, especially when a lot of England fans, not a majority or anything like that, but there is a, a good percentage of them, are the type that follow Millwall and West Ham and other clubs that go around just causing trouble. You know, these aren't real football fans. These are guys who go to the game, get drunk and cause trouble. Um, I've named those clubs because they're clubs that are heavily associated with it, have history. There are many other clubs, of course. A lot of them are in the lower leagues. You know, one of the things we don't hear enough about is the trouble that's caused at match days in lower leagues. But such is the way it is. Um, right, on to question day. We have some questions from Twitter. We have some questions from Discord. Uh, Bernadette Strickland, I will, of course, Bernadette, no problem. And Vinit, thank you very much, mate. Won't be back. Oh, we'll be back soon. Um, Chris Wall, was Euro 2020 generally poorly managed with only Mancini and maybe uh, Hillman with good returns from the squad? Does international football struggle to attract top managers? Uh, that's one of two questions. I'll go with that one first. I do feel like it was poorly managed by a number. Now, I think like Shevchenko did quite well. Uh, I can't think of the Slo Slovakian manager's name, but uh, not Slovakia, sorry, the Czech Republic manager's name. He did quite well. Um, I think the Swedish manager did quite well. It's hard to criticize Southgate. He got to a final, but he certainly didn't make the most of the squad he had available to him. I thought the likes of Enrique, the likes of Lowe, both massively underperformed. Um, Mancini obviously did fantastic work with his team. Uh, we know he's a very good manager. He's won the Premier League. He's a very, very good manager. I do think Fernando Santos, another one that I don't think had a good tournament, but he sort of set a blueprint for himself at the last Euros and he just kind of stuck to it, where his team were super defensive and managed to score enough goals to win games where this time around, unfortunately, because Cristiano offers so little outside of goal scoring, the whole team basically has to function for him and will only really score as many goals as he enables them to. That's just the sad truth of it. I think they're going to be better when he's gone. I think if they moved him to a, a squad role, where he was coming off the bench as an impact sub on, on 65-70, I think they'd be better off. I think he'd still get his goals because he could give you everything he has for 25 minutes rather than trying to spare himself across 90. But I think you'd see a lot more from the likes of Andre Silva, Bruno Fernandes, Diogo Jota, Bernardo Silva, João Felix, 
all these incredible young attackers they have, uh, like Liao, you know, they've got immense talent, but unfortunately, it's what works best for Cristiano. And, and unfortunately, that isn't what works best for the rest. Playing to his strengths isn't what's best for Bernardo, for Bruno, for Jota, for Zhao, for Silva. The, these are players that need him out of the way. And until somebody has the courage to do so with the Portuguese national team, I think they're going to be, they'll still be competitive, obviously. They'll still be very good, but they won't reach the potential of what that squad has. That's a World Cup winning squad, potentially. There is the talent in the Portuguese players to win the World Cup. I wouldn't be overly keen on the starting goalkeeper, but Anthony Lopez is a very good goalkeeper. Um, wouldn't be massively keen on, say, Semedo, but Joe Canseo and Ricardo Pereira, very good right-backs. Uh, Nuno Mendes and uh, Rafa Guerrero give them very good left-backs. Centre-back, they've got Diaz, obviously, and he didn't have a good tournament, but the likes of Diogo Lett, the likes of David Carmo, uh, Ferro, who was Diaz's partner at um, at Benfica, these guys could all be developed next to him, you know, to replace the likes of Pepe, who and and Jose Font, who at this point you shouldn't be relying on. Have them in the squad, you shouldn't be relying on them. Midfield options: you've got Neves, you've got Renato Sanchez. Let's see what these lads can do on a regular basis. William Carvalho, I do like, and he's had an understated career. He was he was their best player at the last Euros. But I want to see less than Neil Pereira, you know. Uh, Palhinha, the player who came in late in the tournament, into the team late in the tournament, he looked very, very impressive and had a great season for, for Sporting CP. The likes of Pedro Concalves, I want to see more of him. You know, there's so much talent there available. Uh, Neto, Trincao, these guys all have to come into this squad. They're all very, very talented. There's huge potential with this Portuguese squad, but I do think they need to move on from a couple. I would say Patricio, Pepe, Moutinho and Ronaldo. And unfortunately, they're your four captains. They're your four leaders. And Font, I would put him in that group as well. That's your five oldest players. All of them are 33 and above. Rui Patricio is the youngest of them at 33. The two centre-backs are 37, 38. Moutinho's 34. Cristiano's 36. I think it's time to move past that group. Thank them for everything, even if they're in the squad as squad players, but stop having them as part of the team and really turn this team over to this incredible crop of players aged 27 and below that really, really could cause everybody major problems like there's so much talent there it's it's actually ridiculous to look at their current team some of the players that didn't make the squad either through injury or lack of form or whatever and then have a quick look at their under 21 squad which is very very talented the likes of francisco Conceição, very good winger from porto rafael leo who i mentioned earlier uh, Thiago Tomas at Sporting CP. Fabio Vieira is talented. Vitania is talented. Florentino Luis, when he broke through at Benfica, was been tagged as the next Cante. Now, he's had an unsuccessful loan spell with Monaco, but he's very, very talented. Jedson Fernandez, hugely talented, but his career has gone badly sideways over the last couple of years. 
had that failed loan spell at Tottenham. Was on loan, I think, at Galatasaray for a while. I don't think that went too well. Um, Thiago Jallo is another good young centre-back. He's at Lille. There's a lot of talent there. And it's time they started tapping into that talent, making the most of it. And aiming towards, maybe not the next World Cup, but say 2026 and even the Euros in 2024, where they'll have a lot of players peaking and they should be strong contenders to win that competition. Um, but yeah, I do think international football struggles to attract top managers. I think a lot of managers would have looked at how Fabio Capello was treated by, by England. Um, he's their most successful manager ever in terms of win percentage. He's one of the greatest managers ever. And yet he's treated like he was some bum who failed spectacularly. Admittedly, not great in terms of the tournaments. But surely some of the blame had to go on the players. Surely the golden generation, who were regularly told are the greatest players in the history of the Premier League, the likes of, you know, Terry, Ferdinand, Lampard. These players surely should have done better. And they didn't. Um, second question. With the financial issues at Barca, any players that Liverpool or other Premier League teams should be looking at? Uh, yeah, I mean, Barca's finances, as we know, are a complete mess. A bit more to do on that in a few minutes. But there's a couple. I mean, if you look through this, it's not a great squad for starters. Terstegen, Liverpool wouldn't want to have Alisson. Serginho Dest, I do like. He's a, he's a good young right back. If you're looking for a backup for Trent, he'd be expensive, but he'd be good fit. Ronald Arreo is one I do like as a centre-back. Good young centre-back, versatile, can play either side. Can be a front-foot centre-back or he can be that more sweeper type. Um, they wouldn't let PK or Busquets go. I don't think I don't think there'd be much sense in either of them. I don't think there's much sense in Griezmann, considering his age, his wages. There's certainly no sense in Pjanic. I think Pjanic would have some, some suitors in the Premier League. Uh, he's still a very good player. He just earns a lot of money. Uh, Usman Dembele, too immature, too injury prone, too inconsistent for me. But if you're looking to ha take a gamble, if you're Arsenal and you could get him, I think you'd do that. Ricky Puig is a, an interesting young player. He'd be one that I think a lot of Premier League clubs would have interest in. Coutinho, obviously. I think mid-table Premier League teams would look at Clement Langley. I, I don't think he's good enough to play above that, but he's on wages that would in insist that it has to be a top club. Pedri is an obvious one. I think everybody would like to have Pedri at their club. Um, there's a lot of talk that City are very, very keen. Obviously, Pep wanting to use his connections there. But I think he's one that Barca will keep, regardless of anything else that happens. Um, Jordi Alba's past is best. Sergi Roberto, I think, has gone the same way. Frankie de Jong would be a phenomenal signing for absolutely anybody. Um, but again, I think he's one Barca will fight to keep. Same with Ansu Fati. Again, sensational. Umtiti's interesting. He's very, very good. He's just very injury prone. He's on massive money. But if you could get him and convince him to take a decent wage, I think he'd be an interesting signing. Oscar Mingueza is a good young centre back. He's one I do like. Can also play fullback, um, versatile defender. Ideally, I think he'd probably be your fifth defender, the one that you can just plug in and play anywhere. Um, Ilyx Moreba is an interesting one. The young player at Barca B. He's very, very talented. There's a lot of comparisons have been drawn between him and Ryan Gravenberch, him and Paul Pogba. He has that same 
languid kind of style. He's very talented, but whether you can get him out of Barca or not, I don't know. He is at a contract in a year, so it's very much a wait-and-see type of situation. Barca are in major trouble financially, though. I mean, they're $1.3 billion in debt now, and they have to clear $200 million off their wage bill before they can re-sign Messi, sign... Or, uh, sorry, register, re-register Messi, uh, register the likes of Memphis Depay, who they obviously just brought in, Sergio Aguero, um, Eric Garcia, and Emerson Royal. They have to clear $200 million before registering any of them. So when people talk about, oh, like Messi's helped them massively, he's taken a pay cut. No, he hasn't. The $200 million figure came after Messi's salary went off the wage bill. Before it went off the wage bill, it was closer to $300 million that they had to clear to get below the wage cap that's been imposed on them, the spending cap that they now have to work to because they've mismanaged their club so badly. And it's not just them. Real have to do similar. They have to clear some money. Atletico have to clear some money. It's going to be tough for Barca, but there's a few players there. Mariba might be the most attainable one, given one year left in his contract. It just depends on whether he wants to leave or not. Uh, Dara McCusker, with us being linked with Barella and having loads of players to sell in the squad, looks like we may have to sell a player before, before a player comes in. Homegrown quota may be affecting us. What do you think? Right. So the homegrown thing has become kind of a buzz phrase in the last week or so. Uh, whoever mentioned it originally, whoever brought it up and put it out into the public conscience just doesn't understand what the homegrown quota is. So just because you own a player doesn't mean they count towards the non-homegrown quota. You, you don't have to register every player that you own. For example, Liverpool re-signed Adrian. Liverpool don't have to register Adrian to play in the Premier League next season. They can just have him play in the Cups. They can register him for the Champions League and maybe not register Cuevin Kelleher, or they can register both. But they don't have to register him for the Premier League just because they've signed him to a contract. They don't have to register Divock Origi. If you look at the Liverpool squad and you take a look at the overseas players, how many of them actually have to be registered? How many of them actually matter? to what Jurgen Klopp is looking to accomplish. I don't think it's filling the quota, being honest. Alison Becker, Fabinho, Virgil, Kanate, Thiago, Nabi, Bobby, Sadio, Salah, Jota, Simicus, Robertson, Matip. 13. 13. That's all you have. That's They're the only ones that have to be registered. They're the, they're the only ones that are important. Like, if we're really honest about it, Jurgen Klopp doesn't trust his full squad. He just doesn't. There's a lot of players there he doesn't trust. You can have 17 non-homegrown players. So that's four spots that are still there. Four spots that Liverpool could sign players into that he might actually trust and use rather than wasting those spots on players that won't play. The likes of a Divock Origi, 
If he doesn't want to leave, fine. Just don't register him. Don't let him play. Make him sit at home. Force him out of the club. Adrian, happy to re-sign. He's mostly going to be there for the training. He knows he's third choice. So what's the point in registering him? What's the point in registering him if you've already told him you're third choice? Have him be the backup keeper in the Cups. Simple as that. He knows he's not going to play. He's not even going to make the bench. Kelleher will be on the bench. If Kelleher's out, just bring up one of the younger goalkeepers. You can use your under-21 academy players without having to register them. This this homegrown thing was used as a reason why Liverpool didn't sign Ozan Quebec. Ozan Quebec doesn't count as a non-homegrown player because he's 21 or under. So you can sign overseas players as long as they're 21 and under and not register them as one of your non-homegrown players. The rules are quite simple. You can have a quick look at them. The non-homegrown thing is an excuse. It's a bad one. The truth with Liverpool is they're sell to buy because the owners are cheap and won't put their hands in their pockets. That's the be-all and end-all of it. Adam Hanlon, uh, pick 10 Premier League newcomers who you expect to be really good picks for Fantasy Premier League next season, be it new signings and newly promoted players or players moving to a different club who are already in the league. Right. Um, okay, I think the obvious one to start with is Sancho. I think, you know, Sancho's the obvious one who's going to be, um, to be impressive. Emi Buendia, for sure, uh, back into the Premier League with Villa, having helped Norwich get promoted. His creativity will be very, very good. Hopefully, with the likes of Grealish and Watkins and McGinn, people around, like that around him, he'll be able to add more goals to his game, more assists. Now, he got a lot of goals last year, but he didn't have the goals and assist numbers in his first season in the Premier League with Norwich. Inside a better team with higher quality players. Hopefully we'll see more of that this season. Um, Ivan Tony at Brentford coming up. He just had a great season in the championship before that. He had a great season in League One with Peterborough. I think he'll score goals. If he comes up and does well, Brentford are going to make an absolute ton of money off him. And not just them, Peterborough will as well because they've got a sell-all and close. Um, but yeah, Ivan Tony, Brian Umbuemo is another one at Brentford I really like. Didn't have a great season last year, but the previous season I thought of the three, him, Watkins, and Ben Rama, I thought he was the most talented, if not the best of the three, the most talented. I think his game will translate well into the Premier League. Um, Michael Elise, I think his creativity. His passing from midfield should create a lot of chances for others. So I think he can do very well. It's Pats and Daka will score goals. That's what he does. Daka will get goals. So include him in, I think, in your lists. Kanate, Liverpool will keep a lot of clean sheets. So he'll get, he'll get a lot of fantasy points. Um, City have done nothing yet. Milot Rashika will score goals for Norwich, I think. 
I do think he'll score goals. He's a, a creative player, but he's mostly a finisher. He's mostly someone that wants to create his own shots. He'll shoot a lot as well. Don't be surprised if he's in the top 10 in the league for most shots next season with one of the highest shots per game totals. Um, he'll, he'll be an interesting one. Ishmael Asar? Yeah, I think Ishmael Asar will do well. Had a season in the Premier League, went down, had a good season in the Championship. A little bit inconsistent still, obviously, but he's still young. I think Ishmael Asar will be a good player. And then Trinkiao is the, the last one. I really like Francisco Trinkiao. I think he's a very, very gifted player. I'm excited to see when Neto gets back, to see him on one wing and Trinkiao on the other. I think they'll cause teams a lot of problems. I've said before, I'd quite like to see Wolves go 4-4-2. Trinkia on the right, Neto on the left, and play Adama through the middle with Jimenez. Neves and Dendonka in midfield, they'll hold it together, give you your platform. Aitnuri at right back, Semedo, sorry, Aitnuri at left back, Semedo at right back. Sort those centre-backs out. I'm not a fan of the new goalkeeper, Jose Sa. I think that's a bad signing. He wasn't good at Porto. Uh, and I I haven't seen him for Olympiacos, but I can't imagine he's improved exponentially. Um, they've, they're downgrading in, in the goalkeeper position, but I think there's still potential there for them to have uh, a very exciting team. That would be my 10. Um, moving on then to the Discord questions. Uh, let me see, let me see, let me see. Uh, Tom, no, David Townsend, who is the spoofer with the catchphrase? It's Fabrizio Romano. Um, okay, so Jason Horst, interest in Berardi apparently breaking on Twitter. Any thoughts? I like Berardi. I think Berardi's a very good player. He's a unique player. He's not a particularly good dribbler. I think he completed like 10% of his dribbles in the Euros, but that's not his strength. His strength is not beating players. His strength is running in behind onto the, onto the pass and running away from people into space. That's where his strength lies, and then picking his opportunity, picking his um, picking his path, picking his opportunity to shoot, whatever it is. He's tall and rangy. He's like 6'2". All left foot, but you don't mind that when, left, when your left foot's as good as his. I've seen some people say, you know, he's 27. That's a concern. It doesn't really fit well. Well, he's 27 next month, but yeah, he is pushing 27. The way I look at it is this. Liverpool have a short window with Jurgen Klopp. He, his contract expires, I think, in 2024. So that gives them three years with him. You've got Alison Becker, Fabinho, Virgil, Thiago, Salah and Mane. I would say are six legitimately world-class players. Now, Mane not last season... Um, obviously a couple of them not last season, but legitimately world-class players over the last four or five years. They're all late 20s, pushing 30, or in Thiago's case, he has turned 30, so is Virgil. There's a short window there where Liverpool are going to have all of them still operating at that world-class level. It could be two years, it could be three years, but that lines up with Klopp. Now, Liverpool now have to maximise that period of time. 
they have to ensure that they're getting in players who aren't two to three years away from being top class, who can come in and immediately contribute at a top class level. The logic of signing Berardi would be to move Salah into a central area, the same as if you signed Rafinha or any of the other left-footed right-wingers that Liverpool have been linked with. Or even a Kingsley Coleman could come in and play on the right or could play on the left and Mane could move across. But the logic would be you move Salah into a central role and then Jota and Firmino, Firmino are the backups. And you have five players with three positions and you'd be happy with that. The logic with signing a 26, 27, 28-year-old, like last season we saw them sign Thiago 29, very much against the normal FSG policy. Saul will be 27 this summer. He was strongly linked, and I want to talk about that in a few minutes. But again, it's to maximize this window, these three years where they've got this great manager and these great players. Andy Robertson's not world-class, but he's, you know, the next level down. He's also 26, 27 going uh, soon enough, I think. Uh, what age is Andy Robertson? Andy Robertson. Andy Robertson is 27. He was 27 earlier this year. So again, you're looking to maximize your window with Robertson. Now, they have the likes of Trent, Canate, uh, Gomez. They're younger players who are very, very good and can contribute straight away. But you still want to, to do get the most out of what you can get from these older players. I include Jordan Henderson. He's not close to world class. Neither is Joel Matip. But they're still good contributing players who are in that age bracket, like 30, 31 in Henderson's case. They've got a couple of years where they can really contribute and then they're going to be gone. That's why you sign a Berardi. Someone who can come in and contribute straight away. He's not going to need, you know, development. He is the player he is. Last season in Serie A, 17 goals and 8 assists in 2,400 minutes. That's a goal or assist, better than a goal or assist every 100 minutes. The season before, the 1920 season, 14 goals and 10 assists in 2,500 minutes. So again, pretty close, just over the the goal or assist every 100 minutes. Now, the season before that wasn't particularly good. Eight and three in 2,800 minutes. Sassuolo weren't particularly good that season. Um, he said he had a couple of, 17, 18 was probably the worst season. He four and two. Uh, he really fell off. But you look at 16, 17, five goals, 10 assists in 1,700 minutes. So that shows he is, he's a heavy creator and he's a goal scorer. He's very, very productive. That's what Liverpool are looking for. Productivity, not necessarily aesthetically pleasing. You go back to 14, 15, 15 goals and 11 assists in 2,600 minutes. Again, a goal or assist every 100 minutes. That's the type of thing Liverpool need. And the thing Berardi can bring you, even if it's not the most aesthetically pleasing thing at at all times, even if there's moments where you get frustrated with him because his dribbling is just an abomination, his productivity is what matters. He finds way to make ways to make things happen. Goals, assists. That's why he makes sense. That's why I would very much be on board with the signing of Berardi. If you can get him at a good price, I think you absolutely do that deal. K-Mac of the cop, I prefer Chiesa, but obviously this isn't happening. Yeah, I mean, everyone would prefer Chiesa. 
Chiesa's a superstar in the making, but he's one you maybe go for next summer. See how Juventus are, and maybe, maybe you can grab some grab a signing there. Um, Jesus Torst again. My other question would be Shaq, keep or sell? But there's two parts to this. Keep is an impact sub. He's clearly not a first eleven player. I think he's a good sub to bring on Percy. See, so do I. But if we're sell to buy, he's one of the more valuable players that we can sell. You also have to factor in the like the the likelihood that Shakiri probably wants to go and play. I mean, he probably wants to go and play somewhere. He's had a few years now at Liverpool where he's been a squad player. He is 29. He'll be 30 later this year uh, in October. And he just he doesn't start for Liverpool. And this is season four that he's going into. That first season, 24 appearances in the league, 30 in all competitions. And he did get a run of starts. And Liverpool were quite good. He played off the right. Bobby was the 10. Mo was the 9. That worked really well, except that Bobby struggled as a 10. Um, nineteen twenty, he only played seven times in the league, eleven in all competitions. Last season, fourteen in the league, twenty-two in all competitions. And it's not like he was heavily injured. It's not like he was missing massive amounts of time. He was sitting on the bench, and Klopp just wasn't picking him because I don't think Klopp massively trusts his off-ball work. Shaq is, well, let's be honest. Shaq is awful off the ball. He genuinely is. Like, he had a calf injury in 1920, where Liverpool ruled him out for six months for a calf injury. I'm sorry. No. He wasn't injured for six months with a calf injury. He just wasn't. Um, I know his calves are enormous, but, you know, that's just not not the truth of, of what happened. He just wasn't getting picked. Um, there was a lot of talk. They looked to sell him a couple of times and deals just fell apart. But I do think Shaq can be a good squad player. I just, I think at this point, Klopp doesn't trust him enough to put him on at the right time. He brings, like a lot of his appearances are two minutes here, four minutes there. Substitution's done to waste time. Um, and I, I reckon he probably wants to go and do more. Uh, more important would be, would you want to strengthen anyone else in the Premier League by giving them a player like Shakiri? See, it depends. Like United aren't going to want him, City aren't going to want him, Chelsea aren't going to want him, and after that, I don't care. After that, I'm not bothered. Spurs aren't challenging Liverpool. Arsenal aren't challenging Liverpool. None of the rest are. So he's going to be a squad player, or he goes to a team where he can start. You know, a Brighton, um, a Crystal Palace. And Everton, you know, he could be a good player for Everton. He'd be better than Hammers because at least he'd run from time to time. Um, I, I wouldn't be all that bothered, to be honest. He's not the type of player I'd be overly worried about coming back to, to hurt you. Uh, Ashley Kirk, if you we were going to buy a Milner replacement, the same age Milner came to the club with a similar type and role in, uh, role in mind, he was 29 when he arrived. So someone that was coming in initially to start and then be a squad player. Um, who would it be? Right, let me have a think. Um, ideally, you're looking at someone with a bit of versatility, because that's kind of the only real uh, valuable asset you get with Milner, because he's not a particularly good midfielder. He's not a particularly good fullback. 
not a particularly good winger at this point in his career because he's lost a little bit of pace that he had. But he is decent in all of those positions. So you can pop him here, there, and everywhere. Um, Ivan Perisic could be interesting. He can play left back. He can play in the midfield three. He can play as a winger. He could be interesting. He's a bit older. He's 32 uh, already. Hector Herrera would have been interesting. He can play centre midfield and he can play right back. Um, undersized at centre back, but can do a job. Javi Martinez could be an interesting one. He now he's gone to Qatar, but I mean he can play centre back or holding midfield. So you could have got him uh, in either spot there. Javi Martinez is an interesting one, but. Obviously, he's no longer an option. Um, there's not a whole lot of... See, I, I wouldn't sign that type of player, personally. I think you can just... I think you can do better, is is the be-all and end-all of it. Um, do you know who I would go for? Is Marcel Sabitzer. Now, he's a bit younger. He's 27. But he can play... Basically, all midfield roles except the holding role, the holding role, and he can play up front, play wide, play through the middle. I think Sabitzer is the type that could come in. I think he could start for most teams. If Liverpool wanted to play, you know, a four-four-two or four-two-three-one, he could play on the right-hand side and move Salah into the nine. And he could play off the left. You could move Manny to the right, and then I think he could become a valuable squad player. I'll go with him. I'll go with Marcel Sabitzer. He's a bit younger, so it's not, you know, like for like, but I think he's a, a better player than Milner. I think he'd offer more than Milner. Uh, Foxes Fox 8. Life after Klopp. How bleak is it with FSG in charge? Um, It depends on who takes over. I mean, that's seems simple, but it just does depend on who takes over. Um, I do wonder if a manager that's more forceful than Klopp a manager who's more demanding than Klopp could perhaps get more from them. Um, certainly would have gotten five million from them to to secure Saul, a world class midfielder. I think they'd pay eight and a half million for Ozan Kabak if if that story is to be believed. And you know, some people can say, "Oh, well, Klopp didn't rate him, or Klopp doesn't think much of him." Whatever. I, I don't believe that to be true. I think Klopp did rate him quite highly. But whether he does or doesn't, you sign him for eight and a half million. Even if you sign him and loan him out, and you can flip him in a year or two, that's a really good opportunity to make money. If that, that's what you're in the market to do, to sign undervalued assets, develop them and sell them and make profit. Then you sign him, you loan him out somewhere for, you sign him a five-year deal, loan him somewhere for two years. If he does well, he'll be a 20 million centre-back easily. He's a hugely talented player. Someone's going to get an immense bargain with him. Um, it yeah, like I say, it just does depend on who takes over. If they if they go with a Gerard, life will be bleak. Like if they go with a Linders, I think it'll be bleak. If they go with a big time manager, another like after Klopp, another big time manager, they might have to just they might have to be a bit more aggressive because I think Klopp doesn't like to 
cause strife, doesn't want the hassle of it, just gets on with it. You know, maybe a manager who's more ambitious. Um, ambitious is the wrong probably word, but you know what I mean. Who wants who more demanding? The manager who's more demanding, I think, would have would would make them have to come out of their shell more and, and do a bit more. Uh, but as look, as long as Edwards and that recruitment team are there, I, I think largely the recruitment will be okay. Um, just depends on who the manager is. Um, Tom James would love to hear your thoughts on how the dynamic of a Fabinho, Thiago, and Saul midfield would work. I think it would work ideally. I, I mean, if you look at the midfield with Thiago, Fabinho, and Ginny, it worked very well. And Saul is better than Ginny in all areas of defensive play and central midfield play. Ginny's a more naturally talented attacking midfielder, but we rarely saw, excuse me, we rarely saw that. Um, Saul and Fabinho can play as a two, allowing Thiago to play further forward and almost become a fourth attacker. You could, if you wanted, drop Thiago into a deep role and play Fabinho and Saul as almost dual shields in front of him. You could play Fabinho and Thiago and let Saul go box to box and allow him to get into the box and He's good in the air. He's got a good shot. He gets gets a shot away quickly. The balance would be ideal. Being naturally left-footed, he'd fit in on that left side. He'd allow Andy Robertson even more freedom to get forward. And and as we've seen with Liverpool, that let the left back plays higher than the right back. Even though Trent is also very attacking, Trent doesn't get as high as Robertson because that's not where his best crosses come from. Robertson's best. And he gets almost all the way to the byline and cuts the ball back or gets his cross from there because of the whip he puts in the ball and the pace he crosses at. So I think Saul would have been perfect. I think he would be perfect. I, I might as well do this now. So there's obviously talk that he could go to Barcelona and that it's a Griezmann for Saul swap. Now, there's a lot of gymnastics involved in this. So Barca need to clear 200 million. Griezmann is believed to earn that's two hundred million pounds, I think, not not euro. The euro fee is higher, obviously, but Griezmann earns roughly six hundred thousand pounds a week, which is thirty million a year. So you get him off your books, that's thirty million you're saving, assuming someone is willing to pay his entire wage. Now, Atletico Madrid are not going to give him six hundred grand a week. More likely, they give him three to three hundred and fifty which leaves Barca on the hook for the rest because his contract is guaranteed. He's not going to walk away from that kind of money. He's not going to say, okay, well, Barca pay me 30 million a year, but I'm going to go sign over here for 15 million a year instead. I've got three years left in my contract, but I'm going to walk away from 45 million. He's just not going to do that. That's not realistic to expect him to do that or anything like that. Okay, so that's 45. Say he goes to... Atletico on 300 grand a week. That leaves Barca on the hook for 45 million over the next three years. It only saves them 15 million a year in wages. Now factor in, Saul goes there. He's going to want at least 200 grand a week from them. That's 10 million. So all of a sudden, their 30 million in savings becomes 15 because they have to keep playing Griezmann, becomes five because they have to now pay Saul. 
And rumours are they want 15 million in cash. That's irrelevant. That doesn't factor into this at all. It doesn't help them. So they've gone from 200 million to 195 million. They still can't register Depay. They can't register Aguero. They can't register Garcia. They can't register Emerson Royal. They can't register Messi. And they now can't register Saul. So I don't see how that deal works. I also look at the Atletico Madrid side. They've been told, you need to get your wage bill down too. Griezmann earns more than Saul. So that's putting the wage bill up. Not factored in here is the way Griezmann left that club. No one seems to be talking about how furious Atletico were when he left. How the Atletico chairman or president or whatever his title is said, he's dead to us. He cost them a fortune by leaking confidential details of his contract to Barcelona. So that Barca knew exactly when to bid. I don't think that deal happens. I could be completely wrong. But I really don't see how that deal can happen from either side. The only thing I can see Barca doing is taking on Saul and then immediately selling him. But I mean, does would he want that? Why would he go through that hassle? I still think there's an opportunity for Liverpool to sign him. I think there's an opportunity for anybody else to sign him. I, I just... That Barca deal just doesn't make sense to me, given what a mess they're in. And the messy contract doesn't help to find... It helps to re-sign him. It helps to register him once you get your, your wage bill down to the point that you can sign him. But they have to cut $200 million off to sign him. And by the way, giving Lionel Messi a five-year contract at 34 years of age, that's the type of mistake that Barca have made that's led to them being $1.3 billion in debt. Um, Mr. Ecker, what is, an, what is the absolute ideal signing for the top clubs in the Champions League? Um, you've always got to look at the spine of a team. So a top-class goalkeeper, a top-class centre-back, or a top-class holding midfielder. Probably the three rarest commodities in the game. They're the type of things that can become the bedrock that you can build off. And you look at Liverpool, and it was those three signings. Alisson in goal, Virgil at centre-back, and Fabinho in defensive midfield. Over a seven-month period, January through to the summer. January, uh, January was, was Virgil, Fabinho was signed at the end of May, going into June. And then Allison was signed in, in July. Those three are the three most important signings Liverpool made under Klopp. Now, that Salah would be fourth, but Salah didn't take them to a Champions League win by himself. Salah didn't level them up that way. Salah was incredible. Remember that first season, the goals he scored. They got to a Champions League final, they lost. But they got the Champions League final in large part because Virgil arrived in the January. They still finished fourth as they had the previous season. When the other two boys arrived, they immediately challenged for the title. Those three, Virgil made them Champions League contenders. Fabinho and Alisson made them Champions League winners and Premier League winners. Those three guys are, are the thing. So for me, for any top club, that's where you've got to start. Got to get that spine right. And, and I can, you know, the goal score is obviously important, and for Liverpool it is Salah. 
He doesn't play directly through the middle, but he is the main goal scorer up front. That's probably your fourth one. But build from the back, centre-back or goalkeeper first, then that holding midfielder after them, and then you get that goal scorer. That, that for me, would be the order of importance. Um, Tom James, again, do you think Liverpool ended up finishing ending up finishing third has impacted their transfer plans? I have a feeling managing to get third with what he had available has impacted their thought process in getting further cover. I think it might have made them a little bit... Um, a little bit comfortable, maybe. A little bit comfortable, complacent with some of the players who clearly aren't good enough. Um, you keep hearing all this dribble about Nat Phillips, championship-level defender. Championship-level. Liverpool, Liverpool will sell him for £15 million, but they'll be reluctant sellers. Not a bit of it. If someone take, gives them £15 million, they'll snap their hands off. If someone gives them £12 million, they're taking it. Same thing goes for Nico Williams. Or Liverpool might be interested in a sale at 10 million. Who are you lying to? Who are you people lying to? He's a 5 million pound championship right back. I do think it has. Um, ITJ, what do you think? What do you do when a player returns for pre season in this shape? I want the Arteta action and the Dave Hendrick reaction to this one. So. I don't know if anyone's seen this, but but Willian returned for pre-season training and he looks about two stone overweight. Genuinely, he looks about two stone overweight. I, I'd imagine Arteta just kind of shook his head, mumbled to himself and went and had a little chat with Edu and was like, look, your boy's gotten chubby. Have a word. I doubt Arteta would say a word to him. Um... What would I do? Um, I, I'd send him home. Honestly, I'd send him home. I would tell him he is suspended without pay until he comes in. At like, the thing is, m- most clubs there's a a target weight that you have to hit day one. Like, you're not meant to come in two stone overweight, looking like you've been just sitting at home gorging yourself on b- barbecue all summer. Um, you're just not meant to do that at all. So, um, yeah, I, I'd send him home. I'd send, I'd send him home, and then I'd send a trainer around to his house, and I'd make him run, and run. And when he when he got to the required weight, I'd bring him back, and he'd run a lot more. And I'd probably have him just run because I would never play him. I I wouldn't have signed him. I said this last summer. Thought it was a disastrous deal. It turned out to be a disastrous deal. He'd never play for me. I'd have him run all year. By the time he left, he'd be two stone underweight. He'd eat all the barbecue he wants. It wouldn't make up for the amount of running he'd have to do. Um, Chris Colby, what what returning loan player at each of the big six clubs has the best chance to succeed at their parent club? I know you mentioned that a loan move uh, is usually a precursor. It, for Liverpool, it is. Uh, when you When Liverpool loan out a senior player, it's generally that's that's it. Um, Liverpool don't normally loan out players they have any intention on keeping. So it's tough. I City's a difficult one because again they tend to just loan out players and they don't really have a whole bunch of a whole bunch of interest in playing them. So let's see who's coming back off loan. 
Hmm. I would say for City, there's two possibilities. No, there's one. Jan Hel Herrera. He'd be the one. Jan Hel Herrera. I, they may well loan him. Um, and if they do, he'll do well somewhere else. But Jan Hel Herrera, I think, is one that could do a really good job at City. Now, if I was Villa or Spurs and City were trying to buy Grealish or um, Kane from me, I'd be ensuring I got that kid in the in the deal. He's he's very, very talented. Um, Liverpool, Harvey. Harvey Elliott is the obvious choice. Um, I think he can do well. For Arsenal, I think Joe Willock will get opportunities. Um, I think he could do quite well. I uh, don't think he'll be a starter, but I think he can do quite well for them. I never really know with Chelsea what their sort of plan is, what they want to do with players, because they go through so many players. It's kind of hard to keep track of them all. So you look at last season and the amount of players they loaned out. Hard to pick. I mean, if he was given an opportunity, I think Bakayoko could do quite well for them. I do wonder if either Conor Gallagher or Mark Guehi will be kept and given a chance this year. Guehi long term probably has the best opportunity to do something for Chelsea. As long as they aren't silly and don't do with him what they did with Tamori. But I'll go with him. I'll go with I'll go with Gwehi. I think he's likely to, to be the one. Um Spurs, Ollie Skip. Ollie Skip's a good player. I think he can have a career there. Who have I not done then? United. None of them. None of them. I don't think any of the players United loaned out, to be honest, have any future at the club. But, yeah, that'd be my answer for the rest of them. Um, Yankee BX. Realistically, having heard and seen all of the Liverpool transfer rumours, what business do you expect Liverpool to do? We've been disappointed a few times by FSG's unwillingness to make a move because of, say, £5 million. I can't for the life of me comprehend why we didn't buy Quebec. This is what I've just been over. I think I think it's exactly right. I just can't. I just don't understand why you wouldn't do that. Um, you buy him, even if you want to loan him out, you buy him to have the asset. So undervalued at eight and a half million. It's, he's worth twice or three times that. Now, if you, if you get a couple of good years with him in a top five league, you get 30 million from him. You get 35 million from him. Stupid move. Um, realistically, I think we'll sign. I'm feeling quite negative. We'll sign Basima and some mediocre attacking player, and we'll be sold it like it's great business. That's what I'm. That's what I'm been. That's what I'm feeling at the moment. Um, Pimit Taradox, after watching Suarez highlights, reminds me of the Carroll transfer, and just who, just how that didn't work out. Who would have been your ideal realistic transfer at the time? instead of Andy, to play with Luis Suarez. So Liverpool's was Benzema. 
that was the target. Benzema was the guy who was going to come in uh, until Higuain threw his back out and uh, Real called off that transfer. That's who it was going to be. Um, who would I have gone for? I probably him, probably Benzema. Um, I mean, a couple of other. I mean, what was Falco doing at the time? Falco was a portal. I'd have gone for him. I think. I think I would have gone for Falco. That was January 2011. He was still at Porto. He wouldn't move to Atletico until the August of 2011. And they paid uh, about £35 million with with some add-ons. I think Falca... And I know he didn't do well in England, and that's fine. But factoring, he was coming off an ACL tear. And he joined a mess at United. And didn't really get great opportunities at Chelsea and they weren't exactly a team set up to play the way that would have suited him. Um, I think Falco would have been the one for Liverpool as a, as a finisher for what Suarez would create around him. Suarez had played with number nine types at Ajax. You know, I think if you've got Suarez, because Suarez played, remember, wide in a, in a front, for the front three at Ajax. Um, yeah, that's, that's who I would have gone for. Falca. The other option would have been to just commit immediately to Suarez through the middle and buy goal scoring wide forwards. Uh, we saw Liverpool play with Cowd and Maxi either side of him. And up until, the Sterling Suarez Sturridge front three that was the best we saw of Suarez at, at Liverpool. So I would probably say either go for Falco or um or by goal scorers to fit round him. But Benzema was would have been brilliant. Benzema would have been absolutely brilliant, no doubt about it. But Falco at the time was probably the hot name. He'd had a brilliant season in Porto in 0910, another good season in 1011. Um, you know, 34 goals in 43, 38 and 42 was, had banged in goals in the, um, Europa League was just phenomenal. Um, he was, he was tremendous at the time. Go on to Atletico, have two great seasons there, 36 and 50, 34 in 41. Then he blew out his knee. Um, halfway through his first season at Monaco. Then he gets loaned out to United, then to Chelsea. But remember, he went back to Monaco, 30 and 43, 24 and 36, 16 and 39, not particularly good. And then he's been at Galatasaray the last two years. And even at the age he's at, 11 and 22, 9 and 18, still 1 and 2 at 35 years of age. Um, I always loved him. I always loved Falco. He would have been the one, for sure. Um, Dell, if, and it's a big if, if we don't land Saul, would you be okay with Berardi and Renato along with someone like Luis Diaz from Porto? I mean, I, I've become fascinated by Luis Diaz, Luis Diaz from Porto. 
after his performance at the Copa, but I always say don't sign someone based on their performance. Now he's had two good seasons with Porto, so I mean he, he does have the you know, he does have the league resume behind him. Look, if we signed Berardi and Renato, I'd be happy. I'd be happier if it was Berardi and Saul or Rafinha and Saul, ideally. Rafinha and Saul is still the ideal for me, but no. I, I wouldn't be unhappy with it. No, I'd be happy with Berardi and Renato. I just don't think we'll get Renato. I think we'll end up with Basima, who I'm not. He's he's decent. He's fine, but he doesn't improve Liverpool at all. Um, Plunky, how excited were you when we signed these players? And what's your assessment of their careers? Aquilani, I was really excited for because I'd seen him play quite a lot for Roma. I thought he'd be a really good fit in midfield. And I think he would have been if not for injuries. I mean, he had that one spell. I think he played nine games in a row, was man of the match in four of them. You know, had like six assists or something like that. Um, he was he was a very, very talented player. just was always injured. Agar, I didn't know anything about really when Liverpool signed him coming from Bronby. He was a young, young player. Um, but I, I loved Ag- Agar. And I, I still think until Virgil, you look at Liverpool centre-backs over the last, 30 years, I think you go Virgil, Sammy, Agger, then Carragher. Agger was a better defender than Carragher. He was also a much better footballer than Carragher. I think he was a better leader than Carragher as well. Um, if not for injuries, Daniel Agger is an all-time great Liverpool player. If not for injuries, Daniel Agger probably helps Liverpool win the title in 13-14 because he would have played more regularly in, mid- in, in centre-back. And they wouldn't have had so many calamitous errors from Colo Toure from Martin Skirtle. I think you would have seen Saka, uh, Sacco rather, play right side centre back quite a bit. Uh, he played there for PSG. He was comfortable there. Um, I think Agar, Sacco, even as two left footers, could have been better. Guy is currently fuming at the suggestion of two left footed centre backs. Uh, Joe Cole, I was disgusted when we signed him. I knew it was going to be a disaster, and it was a disaster from day one. And Yossi Benny Yoon, I mean, Clearly a very talented player. Um, I think he flattered to deceive quite a bit for Liverpool. Inconsistent uh, on a good day. But we knew that when he was coming from West Ham. He'd been inconsistent for West Ham. He was never going to change. He wasn't exactly a young player when we signed him. Um, he was 27. So he was, you know, he was what he was. And he was inconsistent for Liverpool. That's... Simple as that. He was inconsistent for Liverpool. He had some good moments. He, When he was on, he could be brilliant. But there was just as many games where he'd be completely anonymous. So, um, he obviously wouldn't be a, one of my favourite players. But he was certainly fine. Um, right. What would your predictions be for the following? Premier League, top three, winners of the FA Cup, winners of the... Mickey Mouse Cup, the League Cup, Champions League winner, and three teams in the Premier League who you think will get relegated. Predictions based on the current squad. So before we get any more transfers done. So remember, the current squad for United does not include Jaden Sancho because that deal is not yet completed. Um, Romano claims that all paperwork is signed. I haven't seen anything from United. Now, maybe it, it could come out before this podcast. Who knows? But um, Premier League... Premier League top three, I think Liverpool, City and Chelsea. I just don't know the order yet. At the moment, I'm probably leaning towards Chelsea to... Sorry, uh, City to 
to win it, Liverpool to be second and Chelsea third. But I, I, I have to give it more thought. Winners of the FA Cup. Winners of the FA Cup. Chelsea. Winners of the League Cup. I'm going to say Spurs. I think they'll put an emphasis on the Cups again next year. And I think they might win one. Now, you know what? I'm going to say, yeah, well, I'm going to say Spurs. I think it will be them, but I'd like it to be Everton. Uh, Champions League winner, as things stand now, it's hard to look past PSG with the business that they've done. Now, I'm not a fan of Ramos. Everybody knows that, but they still have Mbappe. They've added Donnarumma. They've gotten Ginny. They've gotten Hakimi. There's some big upgrades taking place there. Um, at the moment, I would say PSG are favourites to win the Champions League. Three teams from the Premier League that you think will get relegated. Norwich. Um, Norwich, I don't feel confident about Newcastle. Don't feel confident about Newcastle at all. Um, as things stand, I'd say Norwich, Newcastle, and Watford. Yeah, I'll go Norwich, Newcastle, and Watford. I think they're the three at the moment. And I think Brentford will struggle. I think Brighton could struggle because they still haven't added the goal scorer that they needed. Um... Burnley to be fine. Palace, De- Palace definitely possibility to go down. Definitely. Um, I'd say it's from those five: Brent, Norwich, Newcastle, and Watford, plus Brentford. Oh, sorry, six: Brentford, Brighton, and Palace. Those would be the six I think are the most at risk. But I'll go Brent. I'll go Norwich, Newcastle, and Watford for now. Uh, that is, I think, all our questions. So we will wrap up with the gossip and then we're done. Uh, England and Atletico Madrid fullback Kieran Trippier is desperate for a return to the Premier League as the 30-year-old waits on a Manchester United move. Um, understandably, he want to move home. He came through the City Academy, so, you know, Manchester is, is kind of home for him, uh, I suppose. So um, Everton have made an opening bid for Caledon Koulibaly. I wouldn't imagine they have. Liverpool are reportedly preparing a £60 million bid for Inter Milan and Italy's Nicola Barella. Liverpool can't afford an extra £5 million to buy Saul. Nobody believes this nonsense. The Reds may include one of Divock Origi or Jordan Shakiri in a bid to bring Saul to Anfield. I can't imagine. Well, maybe Divock is the type of forward that Simeone would like because he doesn't doesn't need his forward to score a lot of goals but I can't imagine that's a deal that's going to have any sort of workings in it what what you could have done what you really could have done was you could have signed Ozan Quebec for eight and a half million included him on a two-year loan as part of that because I think Simeone would love him he's very much a Simeone type defender and then at the end of that two years either you sell him to Atletico you get back most of the money that you've just paid you, that you paid them for Saul, or you get a fellow who's been in Simeone's system for two years, excelled and is now worth forty, fifty million. Anyway, um, Chelsea want to offer Tammy Abraham to Borussia Dortmund as part of a deal for Erling Haaland. I'm sure they do, but Dortmund have been very, very clear, 
and Dortmund don't backtrack. So I just don't see any possibility that Haaland leaves this summer. Chelsea, West Ham are close to agreeing a loan deal with an option to buy for Alphonse Ariola. That's a really good signing. Really good signing. He was really good for Fulham last year. Let down, obviously, by the manager. But, um, yeah, he'd be a really good signing for West Ham. Hector Bellerin has yet to agree personal terms into Milan, but the Italian side are considered the favourites to sign him. I don't understand it. He said he wanted to leave to go back to Spain. Inter don't have any money, so I, I don't know. Unless they sign him on loan with an option to buy or an obligation to buy, maybe. Meanwhile, Joe Willock has reportedly told the club he would prefer to re- uh, rejoin Newcastle on loan. That's probably the best move for all concerned if he's not going to get regular minutes at Arsenal because you don't want to sell him and risk that he blows up and all of a sudden you've missed out on a hugely talented player. But if you loan him and he blows up, you can just bring him back next season. Um, Arsenal manager... Mikel Arteta says Neil Smith-Rowe will not be sold this summer. He'd be foolish to sell him, in fairness. Belgium have, oh, sorry, Leicester have offered Belgium international Yuri Thielemans a new long-term contract and are confident he will stay at the club despite interest from Liverpool. Belgian journalists seem to think he's going to go. Simple as that. Alisson is close to signing a new deal, according to the spoofer with the catchphrase. I don't think that's true. I'd imagine he will sign a new deal. Just don't believe it's close to happening. Barca have almost finalised the deal to send Antoine Griezmann to Atletico Madrid for Seoul. See, again, I don't think they've almost finalised anything. Tottenham are one of four Premier League clubs interested in signing uh, Matthew Hoppe. The American striker scored six goals for the Bundesliga club last year from Schalke. That's from this bootroom site that I had a look around. It reminds me a little bit of Football Insider. Um, maybe I'm wrong. It could be could be better than I'm seeing. Um, Brandon Williams could see his loan move to Manchester United in jeopardy over United's financial demands. Doubtful. United just want him to go and get minutes. Roma boss Jose Mourinho could look to Old Trafford to boost his squad this summer with Alex Tellez sought as cover for uh, Leonardo Spinazzola. See. There's no point in Roma buying a left-back because Spinozola will be back at some point, probably late in the season. But I can't imagine United are going to be willing to loan out Tellez. Um, United really should just keep him and use him. Even if he doesn't start every game, you can play him. You can go to a back three, play Shaw as a centre-back, play him as a left wing-back. You, know, you can play him wing, play him left-back some games to give Shaw a game off. I think you should just keep him. Arsenal are set to miss out on signing Daniel Malin after he reached an agreement to join Borussia Dortmund. Arsenal weren't in for Daniel Malin. Daniel Malin was at Arsenal as a young player, left and swore he'd never go back. Um, Tottenham are closing in on signing Takahiro Tomiyasu. The fee expected to be in the region of 15 million plus add-ons. That one's been trickling along for a while. Hopefully it gets done soon. He's a good player. Uh, he'll fit a back three. He'll be really good on the right side of a back three. Newcastle target Boubacar Camara has turned down a new contract with the French side Marseille. The Magpies would look to bring in the under-21 midfielder for £15 million. Um, now, the source behind this is Alfredo Padula, who's a spoofer. Um, Boubacar Camara, with the greatest respect, is too good to go to Newcastle. Uh, he should be going to a top-six club. He can play centre-back, right-back, left-back, or holding midfield. He is very good in all of them. Um, I think he's going to be a huge, huge player. And finally, 
Leeds faced competition from an unnamed Premier League side plus a team from La Liga to sign Christopher Klassen, who is a 20-year-old goalkeeper from Norwegian side Valarenga. Um, you can't, or Leeds now need a new goalkeeper because they let Kiko Casilla go on loan. So they need to get something done quickly. Uh, that's it. That is the gossip. That is the show. Thanks, as always, for listening. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. Thank you to Foxhound. See you tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>